Hello, welcome to the podcast. Again, we're going to have a little different episode this week. Going to have another case from the Disease Investigation Unit files. And this time, it's a reproductive infertility case with an unusual diagnosis. Let's get started. Today's herd investigation case comes from a number of years ago, and the presenting complaint was infertility. This particular cow-calf herd had cows that were continuing to cycle despite several breeding attempts. It was quite a well-managed herd. The cows were appropriately vaccinated. They were in good body condition. The nutritional program was great. But they had had previous infertility problems four or five years earlier, which we had been involved with there and were unable to come up with a good diagnosis. This year, the program started with a round of AI with the cows, and only about 30% of the cows were bred after the AI program, then followed by cleanup bulls uh, for a couple of cycles. And still after that, we still had a 22% open rate or only about 78% of the cows pregnant, which the producer was obviously disappointed with. The cleanup bulls had been tested with breeding soundness evaluations and they were deemed to be acceptable. We looked for T. fetus and Campylobacter, a couple of causes of infectious early embryonic death, and we couldn't find those parasites or bacteria. We bled a few cows, looking at trace mineral status and looking at Neospora caninum serology to see if they had been exposed to that, and those turned out to be all fine and no positive findings. We were a little bit of at a loss where to go, but one of the things we did as we went along, we decided to take some vaginal swabs for these cows, and we cultured them, uh, and all of them came up positive for urea plasma diversum. Urea plasma diversum is a bacteria that's in the same family as the mycoplasma family of bacteria. Mycoplasma are normally found in the respiratory tract. They can sometimes cause arthritis and pneumonia in cattle, but we can culture out of normal animals as well. Urea plasma is somewhat similar, although its home is in the reproductive tract, and again, like mycoplasma, we can culture out of normal animals that are not experiencing any infertility problems at all. Urea plasma was first isolated back in 1969 and was first thought not to cause any disease issue. However, subsequent research, mostly in Canadian veterinary colleges in the 70s and 80s, suggested that urea plasma might be associated with the failure of pregnancy at various times of gestation in cattle. Most of those early studies on urea plasma were primarily done in dairy cattle herds. Many of those research studies have associated urea plasma infections with increased levels of embryonic death and return to estrus. In these cases, the bacteria is thought to move from the vaginal area and actually infected the uterus of the cow around the time of breeding. Late-term abortions, the birth of weak calves, has also been associated with the infection of the uterus, and in these cases, the veterinary pathologist may be able to see lesions in the placenta and in the lung of the fetus. The main mode of the transmission of the bacteria is through breeding. Bulls can carry the infection, and they can pass it on to a cow during breeding, or a cow can infect a bull. We also know that it can be transmitted through the process of artificial insemination. Perhaps the introduction of the rod through the cervix allows the bacteria to get into the uterus. However, as I stated earlier, it's important to understand that urea plasma can also be isolated from cattle that have no clinical signs and that are not suffering from infertility. One study published in Western Canada back in 1978 
isolated urea plasma from almost half of clinically normal one and two-year-old beef heifers from Alberta and Saskatchewan. Another study in Ontario isolated urea plasma from approximately a third of clinically normal dairy cows. We're still not completely certain why this bacteria can cause disease and early embryonic death in some instances and not in others. Perhaps there are other factors involved that we still don't understand. It does appear that we isolate the organism out of a much higher percentage of cows in situations where infertility is occurring. A recent study in dairy cows in New Zealand suggested that cows that were positive for ureoplasm were four times more likely to have infertility issues. In my experience, the number of investigations where I thought ureoplasma was involved, I was able to culture it from virtually every cow that was open. The clinical signs of ureoplasma are not particularly obvious. We can see reddening and inflammation of the vaginal wall, sometimes raised granules as well in that area, and we can see the similar issue on the surface of the penis in infected bulls. In order to diagnose it, we can take propitious swabs from bulls or vaginal swabs from cows and send those to the diagnostic lab where they'll either culture the organism or do a PCR test on those swabs. We can also test fetuses and placenta for presence of ureoplasma in a similar fashion. However, we have to remember that we have to interpret those vaginal swab results with caution. Remember that at least 20% of normal cattle can probably have ureoplasma there, and so we're going to expect to see that in some animals regardless of whether it's causing disease or not. Positive uterine cultures are probably highly significant or cultures where the fetus is positive, but the organism may only stay for a brief period in the uterus, and therefore it may be difficult to isolate at that level. Unfortunately, we don't have a lot of research that informs our treatment decisions where we suspect urea plasma might be playing a role. The urea plasma bacteria is really sensitive to many antimicrobials, including the tetracyclines, but we don't have a lot of research to support our treatment decisions. In dairy cows, they suggest using post-breeding tetracycline infusions and avoiding passing the bacteria through the cervix by using a double rod technique in order to not introduce vaginal bacteria into the uterus. In a couple of the herds that I've dealt with, we've tried using injectable long-acting tetracyclines pre-breeding in both the bulls and the breeding females, and it seemed to help. However, that's just anecdotal, and we really don't know if it played a role in reducing the infertility problem or not. There hasn't been a lot of research on this potentially important reproductive disease since the late 70s or 80s in North America. Despite what we understand about the infection, we still don't completely understand how it causes infertility and why it can be present in some cattle that are apparently clinically normal. In the situations where I've found it and I've been suspicious that it's caused infertility, it's always difficult to conclusively prove this theory. It is certainly something to consider in herds that are experiencing significant infertility issues or abortion problems. And if you suspect this condition exists in your herd, you probably should contact your local veterinarian. They can collect appropriate samples, send them to the diagnostic laboratory to determine if urea plasma is present. The challenge still exists in determining if this is just part of the normal bacteria we find in the reproductive tract of cattle, or if this bacteria is somewhat responsible for causing infertility. In all these situations, we probably always need to rule out the other potential causes of infertility before we finally reach a diagnosis. That's our show for this week. Let me know if you like the case files, and we'll continue on with these occasionally. Thanks again to our sponsors, the Alberta Beef Producers and the Beef Cattle Research Council. 
Take care till next time.